I want to look at a story of someone whose voice was not matching the vision that they had for their life, that their experience was not matching up with their expectation. And we're going to be looking at the life of Gideon. And at the beginning of our story, we find Gideon hiding while harvesting some wheat. And we're going to start in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And it's chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. And this is what it says. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon is very polite, and he says, Pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now the Lord turned to him and replied, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Again, very polite. Pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I want to pray before we get into the preaching of God's Word. So wherever you are, whether online or in person, would you bow your heads with me as we ask God for His voice? Lord, we thank you for what you're going to speak today. God, we know that your truth is the thing that can set us free. So God, we are desperate for more of that freedom. God, we thank you that uh, it's not by might or by power, but it's by your Holy Spirit that things come into alignment, things come into uh, being resurrected in our lives. So God, I just ask that you would speak a word to every situation, every single thing that's happening in in our lives, God, that you would speak directly to it and help me do it. God, I ask that your perfection would reign. And God, I don't need to be perfect. We just need to lean into the one that is. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, I got to know, I got to start with a question. Who ever has had the experience, the experience of you have just started saying something, you can pretty much just see the words like coming out of your mouth, but it is literally maybe the worst thing that you've ever said, and you just want to grab the words and shove them back into your mouth. Has anyone else had that experience? Is it just me? Okay, good. I'm feeling better now. Awesome. And I also have to admit that I gave Heather an assignment, Heather, my wife, an assignment this week. Um, I said, you, babe, you, you know better than anyone when I've done that. Like, you got to give me, you got to help me. Think of a story Think of a time when I said something so dumb or so hurtful that I, I wish I could grab my words and bring them back. And she never told me anything. She said, I couldn't even think of one time. That's not what she said. <laughs> so I must, I must have just been doing great the last 11 years. It's been great. But I say, I say that to say that I might have used this illustration before, but it was perfect. And, and this is the time that I thought of. So circa... Nine, oh, 19, 2012, I was going to say 1912, that would that'd be interesting. <laughs> 2012, 
Heather and I were dating, and uh, we decided that we wanted to do something challenging together, accomplish something together, and we wanted to run a half marathon, 13.1 miles. Why? I don't really know what possessed us, um, but that's something we wanted to do. We wanted to do it together, and so we uh, started training. And ordinarily, a half marathon, you might train for 12 weeks. That's pretty normal, but I think we were training probably for 16 to 20 weeks for this race. And so we were, I was pumped up. I'm like extremely self-competitive and I love running for that reason. Um, maybe I'm just like a masochist. I don't know. But I, I, I was training for this. I was so excited. I, have a, I had a time in my, in my head about what I wanted to run it in and what we wanted to run it in. And the race day came and Heather was sick to her stomach and she was exhausted and she wanted to do anything other than run 13.1 miles, <laughs> which I think most of us, that's every day of our life. But um, so I got to give it to her, though. She had incredible grit, incredible fortitude. She was like, you know what? We've trained this far. We're going to do this. I feel awful, but we're going to do this. And I was, All right, let's do this. So we, we started the race, and um, I was looking at my watch. And I was like, man, we are not going very fast. Um, and every water stop, we stopped, and we stopped, I feel like, for an eternity at every single one. We, we were walking maybe just as much as we were running, but we got to, so the point of it is my experience was not living up to my expectation, but we got to 13 miles. We only had 0.1 left, right? And we were rounding the corner on the last corner in uh, the Kansas City Half Marathon ends at Crown Center, and there's live music, there's food trucks, there's a bunch of people that are celebrating and encouraging you as you're coming in. It's awesome. And so this is an amazing thing. This is the first time we've ever run more than uh, this. Like, this is 13.1 miles. That I should have been so proud that she was so gritty, so proud of what we accomplished. But here is what I said when we crossed the finish line. Are you ready? <laughs> I said, you know, when I train for my, my marathon, I think I want to do it alone. And right after you, right after you finish, they like escort you to this uh, photo place. So I don't have the photo. I don't even know if I would show you if I had the photo. But this is what it would have looked like. Probably me like this just cowering in shame, and Heather just bawling. And I, I, in that moment, I wanted to eat my words. And that's the title of my message today. If you're taking notes, eat my words. Now, something that we forget, like I forgot, in that moment is just how powerful our words are. That words have so much more value than we give them. We give so much power to the external and not enough power to the internal. So there have been numerous studies. I was geeking out about words this week. There's numerous studies about how many words we use in a given day. There was one study that said 4,000. There's a lot of words. But there was one study that said upwards of 30,000 words we could use in a day. One said 16. But for the sake of this illustration, I want to use the conservative number and just say 4,000. Which, still, again, that's a lot of words. So if we say 4,000 words per day, 
That, uh, and if we're awake for 18 hours, that would be around 200 words an hour. And if we look at it from the macro level, if we were just measuring from ages 15 to 85, at 4,000 words per day, that would be around 100 million words in a lifetime. 100 million words. So if you were to say each word takes around one second to say. So one second, which is, again, probably pretty conservative, maybe not. Would that would mean in our lifetime, we would talk for around 25,000 hours. Now remember, that was the conservative number. So, I mean, I might say 30,000, you might say four, but the, the whole, that is a whole lot of opportunity for us to eat our words. And one study in the Scientific American titled, I love the title, the, the Neuroscience of Everybody's Favorite Topic. This is what it says. If you're like most people, your own thoughts and experiences may be your favorite topic of conversation. On average, people spend 60% of conversations talking about themselves. And this figure jumps to 80% when communicating via social media platforms such as Twitter or Facebook. We love me some me. And there is so much that God says about words. And in God's word, there's so much value he puts to it. I just want to give you three examples, though. Just three. The first one is one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible, James. uh, One of my favorite verses, James 3, 4 through 5. It says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So we are steered in the direction of our words. And look at the very beginning of time. God was creating the world. And what happened? He's, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be something that separates the water from everything above it. And there was sky. And God said, and there was. And God said, and there was. It was words. And then the last one, the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verses 20 through 21 says this. From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. We eat our words. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So today I want to focus on the voice and the words that we hear the most often. That's not God's. That's not the devil's. It's our own. And specifically, I want to talk about the words we consume about ourselves, what we say about ourselves, and most importantly, the words that we believe about ourselves. That brings me to the first point in today's message, which is words create our worlds. Words create our worlds. Now, when the story of Gideon, when we pick it up where we started from our scripture today, The Midianites had complete control of the Israelite land, but 
There was so much backstory before our story even begins. And what happened was the Hebrew people, of course, were freed from captivity in Egypt, and they were wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, and then they found the promised land, and they started to fight for their promised land. And one of the people groups that they fought to get to their promised land was the Midianites. And the Hebrew people had victory over them, but they didn't destroy all of the Midianites. So the Midianites repopulated. They got even stronger, and they began to take revenge on the now Israelites. And the Midianites were ruthless and used one of the worst possible forms of warfare on the Israelite people. This was a war where hunger was the weapon. They would take all of their crops and use them for themselves. They would destroy the land so that they couldn't use it for agriculture. But maybe you can relate to where we find Gideon at the beginning of the story, where a problem we thought we had victory from before has come back even stronger. A wound from the past that you thought had healed is starting to hurt again and bleed out onto where you, where you are right now. And I want to remind you, here's what Gideon said about his situation. He said, but if the Lord is with us, in verse 13, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midians. And he goes on in, in verse 15 to say, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. But it's important to realize, it's important to remember that Gideon was not wrong about how he described his situation. But like we learned last week, our experience is valid. But if our experience is the only thing we consume, then we're going to be confined. So if what we eat and consume with our own words is fencing us in, there has to be a better food that can free us, right? Now, there is a term in psychology called cognitive bias. And that is extremely important when coming in contact with our words. Here's the definition. It is a mistake in reasoning based on personal experience or preferences. So this is when our brain is pre-wired to think or speak a certain way or pre-wired to speak about a situation even if our interpretation of it isn't completely accurate. It's wild. This is why two different people can react completely different to the exact same situation. So it's not that the world around the, it's not that the world around the, these two people is different. It's the words they use to describe that is different. So I'll give you an example. There we can go to movies again. Isn't that awesome? The movie theater just opened up, which is awesome. Super excited about that. But there are two people walking into the movie, and one person says, you know, I didn't really like the music that they used. And, you know, the acting could have been a lot better. And it was, it was pretty long. That was a really long movie. And then the person right next to them, 
that comes out of the movie in tears and can't believe how much that movie spoke directly to them. It's the same movie and world around them, but different words. I'm going to give you a biblical example. You can read this in the Old Testament in Numbers chapters 13 and 14, where Moses sent 12 spies out into the promised land to scout the land and bring back a report of what they should do when they're fighting for their land. So these 12 saw the exact same thing. They all went into the promised land at the same time, saw the same thing. But what their words described it as was completely different. The two, two came back and said, this is lush. This is perfect. I cannot wait for you to see this land. Let's go fight for our promise that God gave us. That's what two said. And then 10 said, no, there's absolutely no way we can do this. And it was the 10 that came back with negative words. And I think that explains 10 verses 2. It it explains our default world that we see. We come back with negative words and criticism. And we have to fight to be the two. We have to fight for positive words that we speak. It's the same world, but different words. So how we speak internally tends to be what comes out externally. And the life we have is a result of how we think and how we speak because our words create our world. So the, that is the power of words. And the, and the mistake we often make is we conflate our identity with what we can actually identify around us. So that brings me to the second point for today. We have to match our voice with our value. Match our voice with our value. You with me? You still, you still here? All right. So it's not what Gideon was saying wasn't valid. It just didn't match up to his value. So let's go back to the very first thing God spoke to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. It says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now this dude was hiding in a wine press. Usually he was separating the wheat from the chaff. He was doing that by hand. Usually you do that on top of a field where everybody can see you, but he was hiding in a wine press. He probably did not feel or think (laughs) that he was a mighty warrior. But God's voice will always speak to your value. God saw him for who he really is and will be rather than just where he was. So another way of putting it is God was trying to reframe how Gideon saw himself and spoke about himself. Now, reframing is another psychology term that means creating a different way of looking at a situation or relationship by changing its meaning. It's matching our voice with our value. So one example of how you can reframe your words and your thoughts is, is we can start a day like this. We can say, man, today's going to be a really hard day. There are way more to-dos on my list than there's time for. I, I still can't believe that person said that thing about me and is continuing to say it. Why did we have children? 
Who thought this was a good idea? I am exhausted. I don't know how I'm going to have any strength to do anything that I'm purposed to do. So that's one way of looking at this day. Now I want to show you a way we can reframe it and look at it a different way. You know, I have so much on my to-do list, but God, I'm so thankful that you are with me, that I am hard-pressed on every side, God, but I'm not crushed. I'm confused, God, but that doesn't make me in despair. God, I'm just thankful you even gave me a job. I have a job. Thank you, God. You know, God, I might be getting a lot of criticism right now, but I know whose voice I need to listen to. And I know what you're saying, God. You're saying that I'm beautifully and wonderfully made. And my child might not be sleeping, but man, that's just more time I get to spend with my kid. I got to say that one again. <laughs> but that's more time I get to speak with. And I, how blessed am I to even have a kid? God, children are a gift from you. And God, I am... I'm out of strength. I'm out of ideas. I'm exhausted. I'm weary. But God, it's those who trust in you that will renew their strength. So that is what it looks like to reframe a day. It's the same day. It's just different words. It's the same world, but it's different words. Here's the sermon in a sentence. Write this down. It's, you might not be able to change your world, but you can change your words. You might not be able to change what's around you in your world, but you can change how you think about it and how you speak about it. And that's exactly what God is trying to get Gideon to do in verse 14 when he says, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now God specializes in this. This is his best work. This is what he wants to do every day. He specializes in reframing and taking what the world would consider unqualified or unworthy and going above and beyond more than we could ask or think or imagine. But it's according to his power that's at work within us. And before we go on, I just want to stop and say just how valuable you are. I just want to confirm in you from, from God how valuable you are. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. To do. And, it, and if he dresses the lilies, how much more will he provide for you? How much more will he clothe you? And if he takes care of the sparrows, how much more will he love you? And you are worth the very precious blood of a Savior named Jesus, that you could have eternity, that you could have life, that you could have freedom. You are valuable. You are so valuable. Even if you don't feel it, even if you don't see it, you are valuable. So with the wrong frame, all that we have is not all that we need. So if we look, about, look at things the wrong way, we speak about it the wrong way, we don't have all that we need. We need less children. We need more time. We need more money. We need more people. We need more leaders. We need, 
We need, we need. But with the right frame, all that you have is all that you need because of who he is. I want to say it again. That with the right frame, all that you have is all that you need because of who God is, because of his faithfulness, because of his provision, because of how much he values you. It's all you need. So it's not just about reframing, though. God leads us to reframing so we can replace. So let's see what Gideon did next. This is verses 25 and 26. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, something he owned. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole. Now, the altar to Baal or the Asherah pole just represents what we give our time to. What do we give our focus to? What do we give our energy to from our past or where we are? So take that down and build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole, use what you had before, what you were worshiping before, and cut that down. Offer it, offer the second bull as a burnt offering on it. So God instructed Gideon to tear down something from his past and use something from his identity and then use that as an offering for worship. He replaced what was defining him with his devotion. We know that our words create worlds. Our voice needs to match our value. And the last thing we need to do is sing it until we see it. Sing it until we see it. And what God was trying to help Gideon understand is what we worship matters. What we give our time to matters. What we give our words to matters. It matters so much because to reframe and replace the words we use in our life, we have to do two things, and that's to release, and that's repetition. Everybody say release. Say repetition. Release and repetition. This is what it takes to start something new in our life. Now, the science behind singing, music, memory, and repetition is mind-blowing. A leading author of a Finnish study in 2014 said this about music. She said, Our study basically shows an increase of activity in the medial temporal lobe areas. So this area is best known for being essential for long-term memory. When musical motifs in one piece were repeated. So this means that the lobe areas are engaged in the short-term recognition of musical phrases. Now, I read this a, a ton of times, and I still didn't really understand what she was saying. So here it is. Here's the synthesis. Ready? Is long-term memory is helped by short-term musical repetition. Long-term memory is helped by short-term musical repetition. Now, another amazing phenomenon about music is that we can remember so many song lyrics, but we can't even remember our neighbor's name. This is where my dad is amazing. He's got some wisdom on me. He's doing this. He, he writes down all of his neighbor's names in a note. Does anybody else do that? You're amazing. You're amazing. That's so good of you to be good to your neighbors. I don't do that. So what do I do? Forget my neighbor's name. 
What do we do when we get to a test? We forget that one thing that we studied so hard for. What do we do when we need to remember that date or that city? We forget the words, but we don't forget music. And I want to illustrate it this way, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sing the first half of a phrase, okay? And you're going to complete or finish the phrase of the music. Does that make sense? I want 100% participation, okay? 100%. Everybody's doing it. The Bible says lift up a joyful noise. It doesn't say lift up a great noise, okay? So we're going to all sing. All right, here it goes. First one. Ready? We'll do three. First one. Oh, we're halfway there. Didn't think Bon Jovi would be in church today, did you? Nope. Second one. Ready? Is this the real life? Caught in a landslide. Why do we have that memorized? But we can't memorize our neighbor's name. Last one. Ready? So this is, uh, this is for all the Kansans in the room. State song, I think. Maybe. No, that's... That's home on the range. But it, anyway, oh, here it comes. Somewhere. I just had to sing one word. One word, and you could finish the phrase. Here's the point. Here's the point. The takeaway from this is we can sing it quicker than we can say it. We can sing it quicker than we can say it. Now, that is why the first 20 minutes of our worship experience exists. It plants the seed of your value in a melody that you get on Wednesday and you're like, I am chosen. I am, I am not forsaken. I am who you say I am. It's a melody that you remember when you need it. Why? Is because it takes repetition. So the first 20 minutes, it's not so we can enjoy some music, although our worship team is amazing. My wife, dang. So good. It's not so we can enjoy it. It's not so we can have some buffer time so we can be late. I went there. But it's, we can, it's so we can focus our frame. It's the time when we as a church body can look at our situation and match our voice to our value and reframe our focus to see how God sees our situation and not how we see our situation. And you might say, and I, this is a valid thing. I get it. Yeah, but y'all repeat stuff a lot. Like, do you need to repeat it that much? Yeah, we do. So studies show that a new habit, how many days does it take to form? 60 to 70 days on average, to form a new habit, form a new way of thinking. They walked around the walls of Jericho not for one day, it was for seven days that they walked. They repeated the same thing. It seems useless, but it's not. It is repetition. It matters. Let me give you an example of it. From today's worship, is, I don't even know if I deserve a second chance. Oh my God, so good. You never give up. You never give up on me. Next one, I, I don't know how long. Our marriage can last. You can go ahead, Claire. Because there is resurrection power. And you sing the name of Jesus. 
And the third one is I keep making the same mistakes. I keep getting triggered by the same things. So who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. So if we want to be all that God is calling us to be, we have to sing it until we see it. But it's just not repetition, remember. What's the other one? That's why we need repetition. It's not just repetition, but it's release. Everybody say release. This is what happened with Gideon before he did the thing God instructed him to do. So this is verse 27. It says, So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. You know what? I get why Gideon did this, though, because, like, the people were literally going to kill him. (laughs) Like, they were going to stone him to death. They were going to kill him. But isn't this what we do with worship? What we think about how we interact with worship is the question, what are people going to think about me? What are people going to say about me if I lift my hands? What are people going to say if I don't just come once a month, but every single week I give my devotion? What what, what are people going to say if I sing out louder than maybe it's comfortable to. It's God told Gideon to make a sacrifice and that is exactly what devotion and worship requires. It requires sacrifice. And the definition of sacrifice is an act of giving up something, releasing something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. So if you want to devote your time, your energy, your resources, your attention on something really valuable, it means that you're going to have to give up something. You're going to have to give up time, energy, resources, attention from something else. So to reframe our minds and replace it with God's value, we have to release something valuable for something that is more valuable. With our voice, we have to replace who we say we are, or maybe it's who the world says we are. We have to replace it with who God says we are. 